I'm Adam Coleman, inviting you to the fifth season of The Cosmic Library from LitHub. This season, we go on our tiniest reading adventure yet, into short stories in the U.S. But this too turns out to be almost all-encompassing. I think short stories are essentially brief encounters with felt life. That's Oxford literary scholar Andrew Kahn, who gives us a deep history of the short story. And we hear from The New Yorker's Deborah Treisman, who explains her work as an editor of short fiction. You know, if you are melding with another person, you don't turn that person into you, but you get to know the ins and outs of that person. So, and it's, it's sort of like that. I always feel involved with the stories. We bounce around between the history and current life of short stories with the novelist Justin Taylor. The nice thing about it going out of fashion is that it really frees you up to relate to it in a different way. This being the Cosmic Library, we make sure to go way beyond U.S. short stories, too. Here's the Washington Post critic, Becca Rothfeld. A lot of Kafka short stories, I think, gesture at or describe um, sort of nightmarish geographies or architectures. And the actor Max Gordon Moore reminds us just how wild short stories can be. With a reading in its entirety of Wakefield, the intensely strange, classic Nathaniel Hawthorne story. He had contrived, or rather he had happened, to dissever himself from the world, to vanish. Get ready for all that and more in a season about short stories, small windows into vast universes. It's season five of The Cosmic Library, available soon wherever you go for podcasts. Welcome to the Maris Review. I'm Maris Kreisman, and I am so thrilled today to welcome one of my all-time favorite authors to the podcast, Dana Spiota is the author of Innocence and Others, which was shortlisted for the LA Times Book Prize, Stone Arabia, which was a National Book Critics Circle Award finalist, Eat the Document, which was a National Book Award finalist, and Lightning Field. She lives in Syracuse and teaches in the Syracuse University MFA program, and her latest novel is called Wayward. Dana, it's such a thrill to, to see you and talk to you. Well, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be on the podcast. Yeah. Wayward, I just told you before we started recording that I felt very implicated as I showed you my balayaged hair. <laughs> and and I'm starting to like uh, come into the trappings of um, white lady middle age. Yeah. I mean, I also have the balayaged hair. <laughs> and um, yeah, I mean, I think that was something... I noticed in myself was this kind of weird estrangement from having, um, I guess when you're writing fiction, it's kind of interesting to see exact, to create characters and have them kind of play out different exaggerations or satirize things that you take, you know, this kind of, it's this weird self-interrogation that you're doing, right? So you're both, um, engaging it and also critiquing it at the same time and it's a very strange uh, multivalent way of looking at something and uh, yes it, it, so when I'm writing it's very self-implicating um, so I'm so I'm glad to hear that it feels somewhat that way to you reading it yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean and there yeah there is that I, I always like to remind everyone that we're talking about fiction right now uh, we're not saying that this is you right and yet there's a meta narrative happening here. It's interesting because I mean, every every character I've ever written has elements of my own experience in it, right? It's what that that famous Faulkner thing that it's an um, experience plus observation, which I think mm -hmm. of as also research, right? And sure. imagination. 
Um, and so all those things come into play with every character. So they all feel both estranged and close to me. Um, I will say though, that, that the inspiration for this book was really my own experience of being in uh, middle midlife and my father uh, dying, um, an uncle dying, I, you know, starting to see that generation ahead of me fading. Mm -hmm. um, and my daughter becoming a teenager and growing up and growing apart. And right in the middle of that, I started uh, this perimenopausal, you know, fugue of <laughs> <laughs> insomnia and brain fog and, um, you know, hot flashes, which for me happen at night, uh, which leads to the insomnia. And, um, and so right at the moment where I sort of need my full faculties, they seem to be in, in flux. And I think for Sam, the character in the book that we're talking about, the main character, although I think that the daughter has a big role in the book as well, which was really mm -hmm. fun to do that part of it because it was both observing um, the girls I know that age, but yeah. also remembering myself at that age and how I looked at my own mother and my grandmother. Um, and so, and then talking to my own mother about her thoughts about um, getting older uh, and other women. Uh, so all of those things were, became very compelling to me when I was writing the book and they're, they're, they remain so. Um, but I had that, as, as I was writing this, um, you know, Hillary Clinton lost the election. You probably heard about that in 2016. <laughs> and, you know, and I was sort of like shocked, but not shocked, you know, and uh, as we all were, I think. And uh, so this, the country was doing this kind of weird midlife reckoning. Yeah. Um, that moment where you get, it's not that you don't know that there's a tons of inequity and misogyny and racism in the culture, you know, those things. But it was so impossible to ignore. It was such a crisis point. It was an inflection. So there was this rupture and, uh, and things kind of exploded. And, and in her life, Sam's life, she um, also has a rupture that she is the agent of. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and so they're kind of connected in this way in 2017, um, all these kind of fraying. Um, those mo there's these moments in your life, I think, when you have clarity uh, where you start to see what lies ahead and what, where you've been. And I think that's kind of your job as part of what it means to get wiser or to grow mm -hmm. up in the sense is to sort of look in both directions, but it's also kind of paralyzing and frightening um, because time really does, I don't know, you're not old enough maybe to get to this point, but once you start losing that older generation or you start to see them fade, time seems to go so fast. And everyone always tells you that. And you're like, how can that be? Time is, you know, it's an abstract concept, but it can't go faster, right? A year right. is a year, but it's not true at all. <laughs> when you're, it does go faster. Uh, you know, my daughter having a year in the pandemic must have felt endless to her. Sure. But to me, I was like, well, it's a year and there's going to be one of so many years. And mm -hmm. so before you know it, it'll be in the past. And we were, I mean, we already, with the vaccines. I don't know about you, but I'm already kind of like forgetting my mask and being normal and thinking how it's just like after 9-11, everyone's like, we'll never be ironic again or whatever. And then, you know, a year later, you kind of go back to the status quo. So she's trying, I think, to hold on to that clarity and change herself um, and not let go and not take her off the hook and not push back into the status quo and not forget and not cover up. I think she's kind of trying to rip it all apart and see what's there. Absolutely. And, and it's yeah. so much easier 
to have clarity, not at two or 3 a.m. in the middle of a hot flash. <laughs> right, right. Or maybe that, you know, like maybe that is, may, I don't know. I don't know. Sometimes mm. I think, sometimes I think um, those quiet early morning hours um, are, do have an interesting perspective on things. Not when you're lying in bed and you're spinning, you know, that monkey brain, not that part. But when you kind of sort of say, okay, I'm awake. You know, there's that moment when Sam is alone in her new house and she wakes up in the middle of the night and she realizes she doesn't have to worry about waking up her husband. She could do whatever she wants. She has total freedom. She could have make dinner. She could go for a run. She could turn on all the lights. And so I think some of this is, is, uh, and it feels kind of rebellious or countercultural or something to be awake when everybody else is asleep. Mm -hmm. And so you can have maybe these fugitive thoughts, you know, or these, these kind of subversive thoughts that you might not have when you're distracted by all the other people in your life and all the other, uh, it's kind of a privilege though, right? I mean, and she does kind of dump her, her family <laughs> in a way. She doesn't realize she's doing it, you know, with her daughter. She thinks her daughter's just going to come with her, but no, no. Yeah. yeah, you're you're so good about talking about all of the contradictions that make up a character and make up most of us. And then you get into the levels of, well, just because you have good intentions doesn't mean that you're not also utterly navel-gazy and narcissistic. Yeah, I think that one of the things that I find interesting about writing the book was this generational thing where she feels herself implicated and she thinks that's appropriate because, you know, Generation X is in charge now. You know? Yeah. <laughs> we like to think we're sort of off to the sidelines forever, you know, mm -hmm. coolly uh, staying out of the fray between, um, you know, these generational names are so stupid, but whatever, you know. Yeah. Um, but in fact, we run the world. And so we're responsible. Like we didn't fix it, you know. Yes. So when my daughter is emerging into a, a culture that is viciously misogynistic when she goes on TikTok or whatever, you know, I didn't fix that. I inherited a world where second wave feminism did a shit ton of work. Mm -hmm. And what did I do with it? You know, so <laughs> apparently not enough. So and that's embodied so well <laughs> in that wonderful scene where Allie is getting ready to go to the mall for the first time uh, without parental supervision. Yeah. And yeah. what do you say when a young woman is wearing a, a revealing outfit? Yeah. And you start saying these things that make you sound like your mother and that's really disturbing, but also makes you more empathetic to your mother and then makes you miss your mother. <laughs> um, but it's just that that feeling, you know, Allie comes downstairs and she's wearing like a short skirt and a very revealing top and she's 14 and she wants to go to the mall by herself. And, um, and you know, I'm not, I don't, Sam like really um, stalks her daughter. <laughs> yeah, inappropriately. Inappropriately her. tracks her. And all these, <laughs> so there's these great exaggerations and, um, and she chops off her hair and she has all these things that I don't, I don't, I, I can't, I didn't, wouldn't give into those impulses in my own life, but it's fun to play out that string in a character mm -hmm. and sort of see where it leads you. And I think one of the ironies that came up as I was writing the books is that she both is her overbearing qualities don't actually protect her daughter. <laughs> her daughter still gets into trouble anyway. But on the other hand, 
her daughter is this kind of resilient person who know who's going to be okay, I believe, you know, mm-hmm. and ultimately I think Sam believes that. And, and so that's interesting is that she, she's, she's done a good job in that her daughter is going to be okay without her constantly, you know, stalking her and watching over her. So that was one of the things is that I think that the wisdom of also realizing that the world's going to be okay without you, including your kids. Mm-hmm. And if you have them or the younger generation, if you don't have kids, like, you're not that necessary. And that's kind of great. It's kind of liberating to see yourself in a more selfless, as you were saying, this kind of, you know, uh, you, you're, you're fighting against a, and I was very interested in writing about menopause and aging, because I think often it gets, you know, historically, when I've seen images of middle-aged women, the trauma seems to be like loss of beauty or loss of attractiveness. And that wasn't my my feeling was that I wanted to really think about more of a more, it's the mortal issue of your own body just getting older. It's not because you're no longer beautiful in this conventional cultural way, but it's more a loss of that limitlessness that you have when you're young. And that isn't really a loss. It's actually a good thing to understand that your life is finite. And that is what wisdom is when you sort of see, okay, you know, it isn't um, the the urgency is to enjoy the life that you have, but it's also um, okay that it's not going to go on forever, and that it's not, you know, that you're not the center of it all forever. Um, so, or even for any of it. And and so, so I, I think that Sam kind of changes over the course of the book. I think there's this idea of it's an identity crisis in a way. But it's also um, about integrity. You know, are you who you think you are? And how can you see yourself clearly? And in all my books, I think I'm interested in characters, very flawed characters who make terrible mistakes, because that's always interesting, you know, to see how that works out. Um, and, it, and, and also because people are usually pretty flawed. Um, but then they're trying to like write the ship. They're trying to figure out how to be honest and, and not how you're perceived by other people. I think that's another thing she's contending with. It is that it's not really what other people think of you. It's what do you think of yourself? How have you done with what you've been given? Have you, you know, what could you do better at? Um, and those are good questions to think about. I mean, they can be, you don't want to think about them all the time. You do need to right. sleep sometimes. <laughs> and, you do need, and you need to eat cake and enjoy yourself. <laughs> yes. Or whatever. <laughs> But certainly there's, there's this, you know, so Sam leaves her family and um, fixes or is about to fix up this old arts and craft house yes. in Syracuse. And yeah. of course, talk about um, a good metaphor for the physical body is this beautiful but uh, falling apart home. Yeah, yeah. And I think um, with characters, uh, the more eccentric you make them, the more specific they are, just the more real they seem to uh, to me as a reader. So it had to be, um, you know, that, that old James Joyce thing about through the particular, the universal. And so her particularity started to emerge, you know, and, um, and then where she was, she's in Syracuse, very specific, and it's during a very specific time, 2017. 
and she's in this very specific house. And for me, and she loves architecture, but she doesn't really know anything about it. And she's kind of an autodidact, which I, I have a soft spot for. Autodidacts are kind of like in all my books. Uh, I like because they get things wrong in interesting ways because they have a kind of purity to them, you know? She's also kind of fascinated with some of the older structures of Syracuse, which is, again, so interesting to me. And well, tell me about writing about Syracuse and not setting this uh, on the West Coast. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's so, central New York is so, I mean, upstate New York, I've been here for a while and it sort of started creeping into my books, <laughs> uh, starting with Eat the Document and then a bigger portion of, you know, each book. And uh, it's just such a fascinating place, I think, because I, I was reading this um, this Gilbert Seldes book, um, The Stav Stammering Century, and he wrote it like in, um, the beginning of the 20th century and it was about the 19th century reformist movements and a lot of them happened up here that kind of weird old america that grell marcus talks about you know and and i had gotten interested in it when i was writing eat the document and i actually had it first was thinking about the oneida community mm -hmm. which comes up in the book um in um when i was researching eat the document and i never it never made it into that book instead there was just oh. this 1972 commune right. that was on the, the the land of an old 19th century commune, but um, but that's so much present here uh, because of the Erie Canal, and this was a place where the abolition movement thrived, where a lot of of culty religions thrived, and it's interesting because a lot of women were in leadership in these or had different roles than they could have in Victorian society in these communities mm -hmm. and in these religions. And so that really fascinated me too, just that that um, as pessimistic as I feel about America on some levels, it is this, it does have this kind of space for weirdness and eccentricity and experiments in living, you know, <laughs> which is optimistic. And there is something um, very beautiful about that history of, you know, the women's movement here and the abolition, all that stuff that's happened, but also vegetarianism and temperance and a lot of weirder things, you know, the cornflake was invented of all these, you know, right. granola, all right. these crazy things that um, that are part of this, this weird history that you don't always think about. We kind of think about the narrative on, you know, the winning narrative uh, on the, the top and we don't think about all the little eddies and little side byways along the way. Yeah, right? yeah. and even, you know, if if right now our first inclination is to say so and so historical figure was problematic, right? Um, where does that stem up from? What were the circumstances of of their lives? Um, yeah, so that so, so that character has so many is problematic, and then we find out at the end this sort of origin of her, you know, which is kind of her idealism and her trying to escape her own oppression. You know, yeah. Um, tell me and about inventing the character of Clara Loomis. Okay, so um, the house that that Sam works in this historical house, and Clara Loomis is the suffragette, uh, who is the um, the the uh, woman his, whose um, house it is. And that house was actually a specific historic house. There's lots of little historic houses up here, and this one was um, Matilda Jocelyn Gage's house. But Matilda, Matilda Jocelyn Gage is like a totally great, doesn't have feet of clay, she's wonderful. Um, but my character that I invented has a little bit of that, like Elizabeth Cady Stanton has here, you know, very sketchy 
uh, views after um, emancipation where she was, you know, angry that uh, women didn't get the vote. Um, and um, so I kind of took some of that and put it in to this character uh, that she, um, but her thing is that she has this weird eugenics sort of bent, which was really true that a lot of the women, you know, um, that were wanted reproductive rights in that time period had this kind of weird eugenics kind of uh, thing going on. It was sort of like a common idea. And in Oneida, they actually had this idea of spiritual eugenics, right? Uh, where the more, more, you know, that they would, they would control reproduction, good, but, <laughs> but the people that would be allowed to reproduce were the most spiritually, you know, evolved. And that was, of course, determined by the elders and the eldest of the elders was, you know, John Humphrey Noyes, who, you know, had 20 kids. Right. With, and, and, and I was thinking about that in consent. It's like, okay, you're a young woman in this in Oneida community and you're allowed to say no. They had complex marriage, right? You're allowed to uh, decide you, you have sex with anyone you want and sex is liberated from shame and it's a holy thing. But how would you say no to, if, to John Humphrey Noyes if he's the boss, you know, if he's the most holy? So it's problematic and interesting uh, to think about that. And then that kind of tied into Allie and what was going on with her own um, ill-advised, uh, inappropriate relationship with her developer. There's that whole part of the novel where she's, you know, she's involved with this developer who's a libertarian and a hypocrite. And yeah, and she, she outgrows him pretty fast. Yeah. It's um, such a delight though, to, to, watch you skewer him and people like him <laughs> and Dana I have to say that um I am a type 1 diabetic and so therefore I wear my CGM I see and the idea that body hackers want to wear things made for diabetic people just makes my head explode <laughs> and like how much of body hacking can is productive after a while and how much of it is just entirely selfish well i mean that's a, it, i think the question of technology in you know i'll take that and also enlarge it and just i think that that it's hard not to be mesmerized by all the data that your body produces all the time and 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 it's hard to, and it's also that so much of this stuff is addictive right um, I mean, when I couldn't sleep, I got this sleep tracker Sure. You know, that tells you how much you slept and, and it's supposed to help you. Oh, okay. So I ate, you know, those chicken wings last night at 9 PM and I didn't sleep. So <laughs> next time I won't do that. Right. Like it's supposed to help you, but you, you, you become sort of enslaved to it and addicted to it because, you know, we take these technologies into our body and into ourselves that, um, choose to do that and then uh and we're not thinking about well what are the consequences what are the unintended consequences of it why uh and why do we get to do it and and uh it's such a complicated challenging issue and i think um uh it's fascinating to me and it's only just beginning i was just hearing on npr yesterday because i'm really hard of hearing and i wear hearing aids so like you i have technology that i use that I need, and I'm really glad it's advancing quickly. Um, uh, and um, but now there's going to be in-ear devices where everybody can play with their hearing, 
you know? <laughs> and it's kind of amazing, but it's also kind of, you know, you're sort of thinking, and that's what I think one of the questions Sam has is optimization. She's, she does want to get strong and she's lifting yeah. weights, you know, sure. she's doing, doing her sauna, but she's also like, who are we kidding? Like, what is this? What are we optimizing for? Like, what is this idea of expanding life for? Like, what are you going to do with the extra life that you're, you know, it, it, are you just cherishing yourself uh, in this, you know, as a way of like avoid? I and mean, what about there's some responsibility that comes with this? And it does feel like an extremely, it can be an extremely narcissistic road to go down. Um, and, uh, and, and I think also um, endless. Right. I mean, because ultimately you are going to die <laughs> no matter how what much a you terrible spoiler. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> spoiler alert. and, and, and so, yeah, I understand you want to expand health span, whatever, but it's hard not to, I think it's good to what's fun in a novel is you can sort of exaggerate some of these things. I mean, cause like MH has, I just, you know, she has, I was reading, hearing about meat. I was listening to all these podcasts you I know. could tell. <laughs> and these guys were talking about, you know, like these like meat hacking, you know, people that do all sorts of crazy things to their body and hacking, not hack, hacking like a knife, but hacking your body. And, uh, and so I was like, okay, so she has a weird microchip underneath her skin, which is like, you know, uh, that gives her all this data. Um, doesn't really seem to make her a better person <laughs> or even a happier person, right? <laughs> So, uh, but it is a kind of compulsion. And so it's fun, I think, in a, in, and interesting to me to sort of play out the string on some of those exaggerations. And, and I think the way the novel works is you have a lot of that's front loaded and it kind of, cause it is kind of, um, it is a register, right? In writing um, and it's fun and it's funny. And I think Sam likes to, to she's got a very satirical mind and it's mm -hmm. sort of what keeps her, um, it's sort of what keeps her, her uh, alive in a way is that she's sort of critiquing everything, including herself with a lot of humor. Um, and, but then as things get more serious and the consequences for her decisions play out, um, I think, uh, you know, she, we don't want to give it away, but there, you know, it, things reach a crisis point and then it's the book's register moves into a, a, a more serious register, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, and, and I think, many people who've ruminated late at night are, are wondering about how to actually be a better person in a way that makes the world better and not just themselves. Exactly. Well put. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and, um, you know, there's no uh, perfect answer for that, but it's nice to try to think about what that might look like. I think um, just trying is pretty good. Mm -hmm. You know, and I, I think one of the things that was really um, shocking, uh, this book, you know, I wrote it about 2017, started writing it in that era and, you know, kept it in that era. But so much has gone on since, uh, you know, I finished writing it in February of 2020, turned it in and I did, you know, editing after that. And then so much happened and, and you know, and. And so it feels like a lot of things change, but then they also don't change too. So I think it's so interesting to think about the recent past as a way of looking at the present. Um, and that slight estrangement is interesting um, because the present, the very present is really 
hard to interpret, right? Yes. As, it, as you're living it, yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. yes, I mean, I think just now people are starting to be able to be removed enough from the worst lowest points of the pandemic in America, at least. Yeah. Um, to, to get whatever kind of distance you actually need to make sense of something. Yeah, and it feels, um, it's profound and, and it's going to take, uh, and it's interesting to hear people's takes. I mean, I've read uh, Sadie Smith's essays that she wrote, you know, during the pandemic, yeah, I yeah. read it during the pandemic and it was great. And it had that kind of raw and, and, and depth and clarity to it that she always brings to everything uh, and that fine uh, thinking. Um, but it'll also be interesting to see what she's writing about it uh, in another year or two yeah. years, because uh, it's, it's, it is, the consequences have to, you have to sort of see them in, in, in the world to understand them. And, um, and so that's still unfolding, but even, and then also like the, the, the election that we just had um, was really, I mean, I never stopped being shocked. And I think that's maybe a good thing, but I was really shocked that it was as close as it was. <laughs> I mean, you know, not just that the Trump, the, you know, that, 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 the people that supported Trump for his policies, but even after how he handled the pandemic, to think that there were people that were going to to reelect him is a really broken situation. Even though Biden won, um, and so we're still like trying. I mean, I, that's why I think it's still interesting to think about that rupture point of the first of that 2016 election because I think it's not over. I think we're we really need to figure out uh, what's going on. <laughs> Yeah, as we watch voting rights just being utterly degraded more and more every day. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it's, it's um, and, and so, yeah, I think that I'm interested in writing about the broader cultural issues, but I really, in this book and in the, I think the last three books, uh, really locating it uh, in a very intimate plane right. on the level of, you know, I, I like that idea um, I think Ollie Smith does this really well when she was writing about Brexit, is that intimate local plane, but you're reaching out and touching all of what's going on. Like it's in the context of the of the moment, you know? Yes. And that seems like an interesting, it appeals to me as a writer. Love that. Um, thank you so much, Dana. Uh, before we go, please recommend some books for us. Okay, so I have three. Was thinking about so it's just I, I you know books that I've read I'm preparing for this class I'm teaching in the fall which is called uh, research history and imagination mm. and so um, I read wayward lives beautiful experiments have you read this yes such a great book and so um, innovative I love that idea of counter narrative um, where you're kind of like finding these gaps and filling it in with that work of imagination and research and experience and the passion that she brings to that, bringing these women to life, it, that's a very beautiful book. And that's um, Sedja Hartman. Mm-hmm. And then, and I love the, the subtitle, Intimate Histories of Riotous Black Girls, Troublesome Women and Queer Radicals, which is, you know, great subtitle. And then I uh, reread, actually I listened to Ragtime by E.L. Doctorow because he reads it on Audible Ooh. in his Bronx okay. accent. And it is so fun to listen to. But uh, I love that book. And when he, his, his kind of classic lefty takedown of Ford and I mean, it's just, 
just amazing the way he imagines uh, historical figures. And he does his own kind of counter narrative in that, mm-hmm. you know, um, or about like the, uh, the Lawrence textile strike from the point of view of an imaginary character who is a child. It's just, it's great. Um, and then the third book is uh, Days of Distraction by Alexandra Chang, which came out at the height of the beginning of the pandemic. Right. So it might have gone under the radar a bit. It got great reviews, but, um, and it's a really interesting book because the way she writes, it's very elliptical. The prose is uh, very understated and cool. And she, um, but she handles things, uh, technology and the sort of interior impact, the feeling of technology very well and, and engagement. Um, like that and uh and it's it's quite um impressive mm-hmm. um yeah and she also writes she's writing about the the 2010 so it's again that like slight dislocation right. and estrangement of the recent past which is so compelling to me absolutely thank you so much thank you this is great thank you for listening to the maris review and check the show notes for the books we discussed on here today and please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts